0: Thank you, Melinda. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Job chapter twelve. Job chapter twelve. How many people here watch the Michigan game? Oh, that's not bad. Considering we're in Ohio, uh, it's a good game. Hey. Anyway, Normally, this time of year, we're done, so I'm just excited to still be playing. What's that? (laughs) We've been working our way through uh, Job uh, on Wednesday nights uh, when I teach, and though there's a lot we don't know about Job, we don't know exactly when he lived, though we think it was during the time of the patriarchs, we don't exactly know where the land of Uz was, where Job lived, we don't know who held the pan, the pan, the pen, uh, in their hand that God used to inspire uh, this book. But we do know God inspired it, God preserved it, and there is something in it for each of us. Uh, you may disagree with this, but I personally believe one of the reasons the story of Job is in the Bible is so that no human being ever can say, no one's had it worse than me. Uh, if uh, you even take a glance at the life of Job, you can't help but walk away and say, wow, uh, I haven't had it bad at all. Uh, last time I taught on a Wednesday, it was our annual budget meeting, and so our message was much shorter uh, than usual, and we began talking about uh, what Job knew and understood about God. Re- remember, at the time Job lived, there was no written uh, revelation from God. You know, people that time, they didn't have a written record like we have and like There has been since the time of Moses. And so they learned about God from older people from previous generations. Uh, They learned about God from visions. They learned about God from dreams. They learned about God because of angelic appearances. And we know, at least in the life of Abraham and Jacob, that they learned about God because uh, God appeared to them. And we don't know how Job knew what he knew, But he knew a lot, and so we began looking at what Job uh, knew. Uh, Remember, uh, God made clear that uh, what Job's three friends said about God was not right. But God equally made it clear that what Job said about God was right. And there are eight separate sections uh, and 19 chapters uh, where Job is speaking in answer to his friends. And so... It's kind of interesting just to take a look at what Job did know about life and about God uh, then. Uh, last time we talked about how Job knew uh, that he could not be just uh, with God without offering a blood sacrifice. We learned that he knew uh, that there not only was such a thing as sin, but sin wasn't just something that was linked with your behavior. Uh, It was something that could be in your heart. And we saw that Job knew how to have his sin covered through blood sacrifices. And as we go through um, what Job is going to say, these eight different times we speak, uh, we're going to see Job slowly change. And we'll talk about that some more later. And I don't say this to criticize Job. Uh, God had a purpose. And what he allowed Satan to do in Job's life. And so God used what happened to Job. And then he used what these three men had to say. These three so-called friends to bring to a head uh, what was really going on in Job's heart. It exposed Job's heart to Job. And it exposed to Job the area of life that he needed to grow. God had a purpose in all of this and all of us have areas of life that we need to continue to work on to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And the book of Job, of course, is a reminder that uh, even the most faithful, sincere, righteous, dedicated believer, all their life has things they need to work on. Uh, Unfortunately, for most people, uh, tribulation worketh patience, the Bible says. Unfortunately for most of us, it is only during tribulation that we are open to being instructed. We kind of, if everything is going well, it is our natural reaction to be less sensitive to what God is working on uh, in our life. Uh, But God is more interested in making us better people than he's interested in making our lives easy. I wonder what else Job has to say as he answers the harsh criticism and unfair judgment of his three friends. If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight, please. Uh, Tonight is just the second part of the mind and heart of a wounded believer. The mind and heart of a wounded believer. Job chapter 12. Job 11.1 says, Then answered Zophar the Namathite. Uh, And so Zophar is going to speak all through chapter 11. And if you remember, Zophar was the third of Job's three friends. And so leading up to this, Job, with each one of his friends, before they speak, there's some kind of hope in his mind that maybe this friend is going to have pity on me. Maybe this friend is going to stick up for me. And so when Zophar chimes in and accuses Job of being a wicked hypocrite, uh, just like the other two guys is This, understand, this is a really, this is a changing point for Job. And Job is going to speak in Job chapter 12 and verse one. And Job answered and said, no doubt, uh, but ye are the people and wisdom shall die with you. By the way, that's sarcasm from the most righteous man on the world. He said, but I have understanding as well as you. I'm not inferior to you, yea, who knoweth not such things as these. They'd been belittling him. He says, listen, guys, I know all this stuff. I'm not inferior to you. He says in verse four, I am as one mocked of his neighbor who calleth upon God and he answereth them, uh, the just upright man is laughed to scorn. He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. The tabernacles of robbers prosper. They that provoke God are secure uh, into whose hand uh, God bringeth abundantly. And he's just there intellectually at countering some other things that have been said by Zophar. Verse seven, he says, But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, Who knoweth not all these things that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, and whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind? Thank you, you might be seated. And obviously the first verses of this are kind of, just a brief example of how we get so bogged down in the uh, 33 latter middle chapters of the book of Job, where this intellectual debate is going on back and forth between Job and his friends. But in this particular section, we're going to see that Job knew the personal name of God. Um, He made clear as he begins to speak here, he's pretty fed up with their accusations. He's fed up with them belittling him. But Job understood that it was God who had made everything, and it was God that gave everything breath. In verses 9 and 10, Who knoweth not all these things that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, and whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind? Now, in in our Bible, the translators used uh, small letters and capital letters to help us understand what the underlying word is. And you see in verse 9 how it's all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the personal name uh, of God. Um, By the way, the personal name of God appears 32 times in the book of Job, and it's always all caps if the personal name of God is involved, and it's just uh, God. Now, it was likely uh, that Jehovah at that time was pronounced Yehovah or Yehovah, uh, but it's been pronounced in English as Jehovah ever since of William Tyndale. And, and by the way, we pronounce the J in Joshua and uh, the J in Jacob and the J in Joseph. We don't say Joseph and Jacob and Yahshua. Uh, Jehovah. Now, there's a, the Old Testament manuscripts are written in Hebrew, and they had something called vowel pointing, that showed what vowels there were with the consonants. And understand that if the Hebrew manuscript with the vowel pointing uh, is right, which we believe it is, it's not pronounced Yahweh. It's pronounced Yehovah or Yehovah. Uh, It's God's personal name. I know a lot of people think they're being really spiritual when they, they say Yahweh, but basically they're pronouncing God's name in a way that zero manuscripts indicate. Zero. Uh, go, go, go back 70 years, nobody was talking about Yahweh. All right? I don't want to make too big of a deal about this uh, because God is not petty. I mean, a whole business about God, you know, uh, being uh, the high priest, mispronouncing his name and them tying a rope to the uh, high priest's ankles and if he went into the Holy of Holies and the bells stopped ringing, you know, they assumed he mispronounced a, a name of God and they drag him out. Listen, God is not a petty God. In fact, in Psalm 138 thirty-eight two, that says, as he has magnified his word above all his name. But though God's personal name appears 32 times in the book, 31 of those are the words of the Holy Spirit, not by any one of the five men quoted in the book. Keep your hand there. Just go back to chapter one and you can see an example of what I'm talking about in verse 6 of Job 1 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Notice all caps. Satan came also among them, and the Lord, all caps, uh, said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered uh, the Lord, Jehovah, and, and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And, and the Lord, again, uh, said unto Satan, Hess, i consider my servant Job. And, and we could go on and on. The, all the examples of God's personal name, uh, none of them are by Elihu, none of them are by Bildad, none of them by Zophar, none of them by Eliphaz, uh, all by the Holy Spirit. And one time there in verse 9, uh, by Job, Job knew God's personal name. That's a big deal. Uh, keep your hand there, go up to chapter 28. Verse 28, because Job didn't just know God's personal name. Uh, Job also knew one of the other common names used for the Lord in the Bible. That's Adonai. And in our Bibles, that will be capital L, small O, small R, small D. In uh, Job 28, uh, 28 uh, Job is speaking again. He says, And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that, that, it, that is wisdom, and to part from evil is understanding. And that sounds a lot like the book of Proverbs, but you notice the word Lord there, capital L, small o, small r, small d. Again, that word is not used by any of the other men in this Bible. Uh, Job's friends spoke about God as God. Job's friends spoke about God as the Almighty, but they never use either one of these personal names for God. I hope you know tonight that God describes himself in his revelation of himself to us by many names. There is only one God, one God who's revealed himself to mankind as three distinct persons who all have the same character attribute, but he uses many names. And so understand that when some God has a different name and different attributes, it's not the same God. Uh, Allah, Brahman, Shiva, Vishnu. Those are all the names of random, uh, different major religion gods on the face of our, our planet. Those are not other names for the same God because they don't have uh, the same character qualities. Uh, in the Bible, you read in the Old Testament about Dagon and Baal and Ashtaroth and, and Chemosh and all those other uh, pagan deities. Or in the New Testament, the Roman or the Greek gods and Zeus and Diana and Venus and Aphrodite and Hermes and all those, listen, uh, they are all false gods. It's not another name for the same God because they don't have the same character qualities as the God of the Bible. Now it is very appealing politically to say that Allah is just another name for Jehovah and that they're really the same God. That sounds good, but it's not true. Uh, Allah and Jehovah do not share the same character qualities. It's not two names for the same uh, God. You see, uh, the, each biblical name that, uh, that God uses to describe himself is kind of like uh, someone taking a look at a beautiful diamond and each word describes one of the beautiful facets on that cut gem in all of its beauty. And we could spend weeks studying the names God uses for himself. I mean, we, we could talk about El Shaddai and and God Almighty. We could talk about Elohim, the word for uh, in Genesis for our creator. We could talk about Jesus, which means Savior. We could talk about Jehovah Jireh, God provides or causes it to be seen, or Jehovah Shalom, God uh, the God of peace. Uh, but we're not studying that tonight. I'm just putting it out there and pointing out that Job, without any written record, he knew enough about the Almighty, he knew enough about his Creator to know God's personal name was Jehovah. See, Job obviously knew a lot more about his Creator than his friends did. Or a guy we'll get to, Lord willing, soon enough, a guy named Elihu. Listen, Jesus is called wonderful. Wonderful. His name is called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Uh, those are names for God. He's called the Holy One. He's called the Just One. He's called the First and the Last, the Beginning and the End, the Alpha and Omega. He's the Friend who sticketh closer than a Brother. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Each name our Creator chose and to describe Himself, describe the Lord Jesus, to describe a beautiful facet of who he is. The wise man said, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous runneth into it and in is safe. In Proverbs 18 10. Job knew God's personal name. There was no written record. We don't know how he came to know it, but he knew it. Hear me when I say this we do not have a creator who's hiding himself. Our Creator is not a reluctant responder. He will be found of anyone who will seek Him with all their heart. But God won't force Himself into your life. But if you're really truly looking for God uh, in the Scriptures, He will be found. The most important name of God today, of course, is Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the name upon whom we call to be saved. In fact, we're told that there's no other name above that name and that every knee will bow to that name and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're here and you've not called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved, I hope you'll do that. If you have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved, I hope you'll grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and part of growing in knowledge of him is to grow to understand his names. But it wasn't just that Job knew his creator well enough to call him Jehovah and Adonai. Uh, Job is now, he's going to begin to slowly change. Again, I don't point this out to criticize Job, Uh, listen, I have no doubt that my faith would have cracked long before this. Uh, Job's did not, uh, so I don't point this out to criticize him. I just point this out so that we understand what's going on because uh, understanding this is really what's going on in this story. God is trying to get Job to see something. Notice as he begins to slowly change in chapter 13, verse 1. Remember, he just had his disappointment with Zophar, chapter 11. He says, Lo, mine eye hath seen all this. Mine ear hath heard and understood it. What ye know, the same do I know also. I'm not inferior unto you. Here he's going to begin to change. He says, Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. I've got a little line drawn above that. Because Job is beginning to change right here. You know, this had been going on for months. Remember, Job, uh, in a matter of moments, was informed that hundreds of his employees were killed. All his wealth was gone. He was informed in just uh, the end of that sentence that all ten of his children... Had died in what everyone would call an act of God. And then he is covered with boils from the top of his head to the tip of his toe. And he's literally still sitting in the ash heap. And he's been sitting there now for months, covered with ashes, scraping the pus off these boils. And everyone who at one point in time respected him and he thought loved him, uh, they've all turned on him, including his three friends. And pushes him over the edge. He's a genuinely humble man, but he's not yet as humble as God wanted him to be. Remember, he—he's the most righteous man on the planet. You—you can't listen if you're living a righteous life. You know you're living a righteous life. It's not like, oh wow, I'm living a righteous life, huh? You know you're living a righteous life because if you're living a righteous life, you have to do it on purpose. Job knew, he knew, compared to his peers, he was more righteous than they were. He was more faithful than they were. His heart was better than their heart. He was more generous than they, they, they were. He knew that, and you know what's happened is suddenly in his heart, he had some self-righteousness. And he says in verse 3, surely I would speak to the Almighty and desire to reason with God. Uh, go back to chapter 9. Let's see his attitude a little earlier in the conversation. Now this is after Bildad. So he already endured Eliphaz and he endured Bildad. And even in the, after what Bildad, I mean Bildad basically told him your, ch- your children got what they deserved. I mean imagine that. But Job's attitude at this time. Notice in chapter nine and verse fourteen, he says, "How much less shall I answer him, and choose out my words to reason with him, whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make my make supplication to my Judge." Do, do you see his attitude there? He says, I, "I, I'm. If I was speaking to God, I, I wouldn't make any accusations. I, I would, I, I was supplication. I would just." Beg God as my judge, you know, God be merciful to me. And so something changed between chapter 9 and verses 14 and 15 and chapter 13. We understand Job, he was not spiritually ignorant. He actually knew a lot of things. Go go up to chapter 19 and verse 25. Uh, This is actually a song. I, I think Robin sings it. I'm not good at that stuff, but I think that's right. In chapter 19 and verse 25, Job here says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth. He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed in me. Job knew he had a Redeemer. He knew his Redeemer was coming to the earth. He knew he was going to be resurrected bodily. He knew he would see his Redeemer one day on the earth with his own eyes. You know, that, that's a lot of spiritual insight. Go back to chapter 9. Notice what else he says. And he says in Job chapter 9 and verse 32, speaking of God, he says, For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. See, see again, Job said, You know what? I, I can't answer God. Verse 33, neither is there any daisman betwixt us that might lay his hand uh, upon us both. Listen, Job knew a lot, but he didn't know that uh, Christ would be a mediator. I mean, today we know that Christ puts one hand uh, in God's hand and one hand in our hand, and he brings us together. Job didn't know that. He knew he had a redeemer. He, he knew he was going to be resurrected. Um <laughs> But he didn't understand there was a mediator between him and god he knew a lot he had enough knowledge to give him hope and death and life but in chapter 9 job is a lot more humble and it starts to change in chapter 13 and we read that you see unlike chapter 9 job now thinks he's ready to make his case before god Chapter 13, verse 3, Surely I would speak to the Almighty and desire to reason with God. That's not how he was just one conversation earlier. Uh, Listen, Job's not the first person living a sincerely righteous life to consider the weight, (laughs) to fail to consider the weight of his sins. See, we think relative to the people around us. You know, I'm living a righteous life compared to the people around me and should be as a follower of Jesus. But none of our righteousness compares at all to God's righteousness. And what Job is doing is he's got in some corner of his heart where he has compared his righteousness enough to the people around him that he's lost sight of his difference with God. Now this slow change exposes Job's self-righteousness and it becomes more and more obvious as his friends continue one by one. We saw his attitude in chapter 9, verse 14 and 15, go up to chapter 23. Again, I'm not pointing this out to criticize Job. I'm pointing this out because this is what God is getting Job to. He wants Job to see That even though he's humble, he is not properly humble before God. And even though he's the most righteous man on earth, he is not thinking about his righteousness correctly. In chapter 23 of of Job, look look at him now in in verse 3. He says, Oh, that I, uh, I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Do you see how Job's attitude has changed? Remember in chapter nine, he he didn't want to make an argument with God. He said, if I was there, I would just make a supplication to my judge. Now he's ready to make his case. Job's frustrated. He's hurt. And his self-righteousness is becoming increasingly on display as God is finally getting him to the place to where job's what job's lesson in this really is. Turn up to chapter thirty one and verse thirty five again I don't this is I'm not being critical of job I'm just if you and I are going to understand what's going on in, in this book, we need to understand what God's doing. Notice what. Where Job gets after the the final straw, the cruelty and lack of compassion from his friends. Chapter 31 and verse 35. He says, Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that my adversary had written a book. Surely I would take it upon my shoulder and bind it as a crown to me. I would declare unto him the number of my steps and as a prince would I go near unto him. You see how Job's attitude has completely changed. It's really good in chapter 9, starting to go south in chapter 13, even farther south in 23. And now, he's saying, you know, I want God to answer me. By the way, uh, God's going to do that (laughs) in a few chapters. And when God answers Job, he's going to figure out that he really shouldn't have been so eager to make his case with God. (laughs) See, God is trying to get Job to see himself and his righteousness the right way. Job was a righteous man, but he should have been justifying God all along, not himself. I know no one ever here has felt like, well, this kind of stuff shouldn't happen to me. I don't think God's being fair to me. I don't think God's treating them right. I know no one here has ever had that thought pass through your mind. I know no one here has ever harbored that thought at all. That's basically what's going on in Job's mind. And it started, and, 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 and now he's latched onto it. He says, he, he goes from, uh, man, I would be ashamed to stand before God. I could never make an accusation. Uh, if I was there, I, I just would supplicate, I just beg my creator for mercy to now. Well, I wish God would answer me and I'd walk away as a prince. What happened? Listen, Satan is a master at getting people to move one inch at a time. From a good place to an okay place to a bad place to a really bad place. One inch at a time. He patiently works on people little by little getting us to change little by little until ultimately we have moved to some place we never thought we would be in life, some place we never thought we'd be in our faith, some place we never thought we would be in ministry. I've seen it over and over and over and over again in my Christian life, and I've felt it myself. One inch at a time. And Satan, one inch at a time, has afflicted Job and moved him now to a bad place. He's in a place of pride. Yeah, uh, I I wish God would answer me. And and if God answered me, uh, I, I would walk away as a prince with a crown on my head. Listen, Job had every reason to boast, but not before God. Job was righteous and, and just and holy and generous and good, but he was not perfectly so like God is. Job was right in chapter 9 when he said, Though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, I would make my supplication to my judge. What happened to that Job? In fact, Actually, chapter 31 and 35, that verse 34, that's a key verse in this Bible because what's going to happen, Job calls out, he says, my desire is is that the Almighty would answer me. And if you turn up to chapter 38, God's going to do just that. You say, what happens between 33 and 38? Uh, A guy named Elihu steps up, but we're not going to talk about him tonight. See, when we understand that Job at this point, God has finally got him to where Job can see this dark corner of his heart. Remember, what's inside us doesn't ever come out until we're squeezed. And Job has been squeezed in a way none of us could imagine, and this dark corner of self-righteousness has come out. He says, God, I wish you'd answer me. Job chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. He said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Uh, By the way, I have a Schofield Bible. I love the Schofield notes. but The Schofield note here is dead wrong. So how do you know the Schofield note is dead wrong? It's contrary to the Bible. Uh... (laughs) God says here, gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee. Thee and thou are singular. Remember, pronouns with t, thee, thou, thine, they're singular pronouns. Pronouns with y, ye, you, yours, they're plural pronouns. This is not God defending Job to his friends, like the note says. This is not God speaking to Job's friends. This is God answering Job as an individual, because Job called for that. Verse 4, where wast thou <laughs> when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut up the sea with doors when it brake forth as if it had issued out of a womb when I made the cloud the garment uh, thereof, and thick darkness a swaddling uh, for it. And we won't go on, but God is going to ask Job 83 unanswerable questions, just like those. It's taken this deep and lengthy trial to expose Job's heart to himself. Remember, God always knows our heart. And so when these kinds of things happen, it's not so that God knows us. It's so that you and I can honestly see ourselves in the real light. Sometimes we might not like what we see. Listen, God was satisfied with Job's justice, righteousness, and goodness among men. But he was not satisfied with Job's humility or the self-righteous attitude he developed after years of spiritual success please hear me, we are very familiar, rightly, with the pride of wealth, prominence, success, beauty, intellect, athleticism, and education. But we sometimes don't pay attention to spiritual pride. The pride of spiritual knowledge. Listen, Job knew more about God than all these guys. He knew more about God than everybody around him. Job was more charitable than... He, he, hey, listen, there, been, there literally would have been nobody said, well, man, that's not a good man. See, in a church like this, where literally from the three-year-old nursery to every one of our eight adult Bible classes, to anybody who stands behind this pulpit, you and I are exposed constantly to clear knowledge of our God. And if we're not careful, we'll have that dark corner in our heart because we really do know more than most people. But it's not okay to be proud of knowing more than most people. Don't misunderstand me. We have every reason to be confident in Christ. He loved us. He gave himself for us. He gave us his righteousness when he saved us. We're secure by his power. He loves us with an everlasting and unchangeable love. His blood cleanses us from all sin. He will not impute our iniquity to any heavenly account. He looks at us through the uh, mercy uh, and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. His mercy is everlasting. Uh, His grace and love for us are unchangeable. He made us his own dear children. But our confidence needs to be in those things rather than in any of our own tainted righteousness or spiritual knowledge. When we see Christ, there will be no boasting. When we look into those eyes of the glorified Christ that are afire, and his glory above the brightness of the sun, his feet as if they were brass burning in a furnace, if you think for a second that the amount of, times we've read through the Bible or the amount of Bible verses we have memorized or the times we've been to church or the people we've won to the Lord or the lessons that we've taught or all the good things that we should do and many in this room do, if you think for one second that your response is going to be anything but to fall on your face and say, I am unworthy in every way but for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't understand God's righteousness versus ours. How much better it is to today to make a decision to walk more humbly. There's probably some people here, you need to humble yourself to call upon Jesus for salvation. You you think that someday you're going to stand before God and, well, this pastor did that and this teacher did that and this deacon did that and... That church member did that, and I was in this neighborhood, and this person in my family did that. And if you even have the inkling of an idea that that's going to make any difference in your salvation, you're crazy. I'm not justifying anything bad that's ever been done. There are a lot of dumb, sinful things done in all kinds of places. But there's no flaw in Jesus. If that's you tonight, you need to get saved for real. Uh, I'm talking to people tonight, and there are likely some, and Christ is in your life. And one inch at a time, Satan has got you somewhere you never thought you'd be. He will take you into immorality. He will take you into pride he will take you in oh he will take you anywhere that's not close to christ 1 inch at a time and there will always be some reason or some justification in your own mind for why you are the way you are and i just want to say please take an honest look and get back where you belong before Satan gets you someplace that's really going to hurt you and hurt the people you love. I mean, Job is the best man on the planet. And this much at a time, his genuine righteousness, his genuine spiritual knowledge, his genuine walk with God brought him to a place of spiritual pride and self-righteousness. And if it could happen to Job, it can happen to any one of us. We haven't heard from him yet but there's been at least one spectator for this ongoing debate a man by the name of Elihu there may even have been a crowd gathered by this time I mean after all Job and all three of these friends are true intellectuals they're true men of fame true men of knowledge there was no television in those days there were no cell phones there was no audio or video recording if you heard something was going down you went to watch Maybe there was a whole crowd gathered. We don't really know. But what we do know is there was a guy who's not counted among Job's three friends, a man named Elihu. He was there. I wonder what he will have to say. But that is for next time. If you bow your head, close your eyes.